Okay, now for the Bible study portion of our services today, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Still. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to thank Sean for jumping in today on, on uh, doing uh, song leading. He had the moment of terror when I called him a couple hours ago. And I could, I, I could hear him as he was picking up the phone. He was practicing, hello, hi, welcome. And you, you were starting to practice. <laughs> so um, I would also like to thank uh, Ken for the, uh, the challenge of last week's lesson in the Bible study. It was uh, tricky topics to navigate, and I thought he did uh, fantastic, and I thought it was really ended up being a really good discussion. I know maybe um, some might have been a little uncomfortable with it, but these are real-world problems and real-world challenges, and we live in the real world, don't we? So it's, it's really good to, to be real when we study God's Word because it's designed to help us in the real world. So the uh, <clears throat> lesson today, unless I have my count wrong, is Lesson 10, right? Everybody on Lesson 10? And uh, I am going to look for a volunteer to read the opening, uh, the opening section here. Anybody willing to, uh, to read for us? We can always voluntold. Ken? Volunteer. Anyway, <laughs> families like the marriage relationship have often been seen in our culture as oppressive and enslaving. We all know of homes where this seems to be the case, but we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that because some families get it horribly wrong, it isn't possible to get it right, at least some of the time. Just because the garden grows weeds, we shouldn't pave it over with concrete. Just because there are oppressive families, that's no reason to dismiss family life altogether. On the contrary, marriage and the family were designed as the place of love, security, affirmation, and new energy, but they can become a place of fear and bondage. The worst is the corruption of the best. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> now, I was thinking about this opening question here. I'm thinking about writing to N.T. Wright and, and saying, are you trying to get us in trouble? Briefly describe your ideal marriage, family, or relationship with coworkers. Well, your ideal marriage, the answer is the one you're in, right? It has to be that. Anybody want to disagree? Uh, well, like, what kind of question is that? But it is a good question to ask. Because certainly uh, when we're young people, thinking about the future, thinking about, about being married, uh, who that future spouse may be, things of that nature, what family we would have, um, and then indeed even in other relationships, relationships in the church, in, uh, amongst co-workers, important life-sustaining uh, and, and lifelong relationships. We thought about those things, didn't we, from one reason or another, for one perspective or another. And so I'd just like to open this a little bit, if I can read it and get through it, because this is what it made me think of. My ideal marriage is the one that I'm in now. Of course, that's the right answer. 
but I am married to a woman that knows me better than anyone else alive, and yet she still loves me, still cares for me, and supports me in everything. And I believe she would say the same of me. That's an ideal marriage, isn't it? I will share with you that when I was an older teenager, young adult, I really didn't think I would ever get married. I thought that I probably had too many challenges in my personality, that I was too difficult a person, and I, that I could not imagine really finding a woman that would tolerate me, put up with me. But God heard my prayers and more than answered them. He brought a woman into my life who has not only committed herself to me, but who has supported me in my darkest moment, who has loved me when I am unlovable, who has supported me throughout our married life, who has loved me and given me a family. An amazing blessing. And I am very, very grateful. You may have some similar thoughts. You may be thinking some similar things, right? About your marriage, about your relationships, about maybe a marriage you'd like to have, or other relationships in family, in church. But when we think about these things, it, it comes down to this, and I, I just thought, I really felt like I wanted to share this, and then I'm absolutely gonna let everybody else talk. In spite of having the most ideal relationships, the most ideal marriage, right? It doesn't make life it just doesn't. Life is hard, isn't it? And the reason why I felt like I had to share this is because we are bombarded by the world every day. Our young people are bombarded by the world every day that says, if life's hard, well, you can step away from that marriage. Life's hard with marriage. Life's hard without marriage. Life is hard without relationships in church without good relationships between colleagues and family members. And it's hard with them. It just is, isn't it? And so it's this false narrative, this false question, this false idea that somehow if your marriage isn't working, if your relationships aren't working, if your communication with your family isn't working, it's okay to give up on it and walk away. And it's not. And we know that, and it's important to remember that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, and both of them can fall, just ask David and Fran. But they damage different arms, so together they're like a whole person. They're going to have an arm each. Just a beautiful example not just of their recent unfortunate, but of their life as a married couple. If both of them fall, the, their other is there to help one another up. All right, I'm going to help you get up and you help me get up. That is true in every relationship, marriage relationships, relationships and family and church. It says again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by the other, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord 
is not quickly broken. The strength when we're together. In life's difficulties and the hardships that we have. I just really felt it on my heart to share that this morning because that's where we are in life, in any of our relationships. They give us strength. They give us benefits. But they don't eliminate all problems. The problems will be there even if we didn't have those relationships. So, let's take a look at, well, let, let me ask this. Anybody else like to give their definition of an ideal marriage or family relationship or relationship in the church? David? I basically, I want to try to keep it brief. Uh, I agree totally with what you were saying. You had a lot of truth, a lot of insight there. And uh, you coming up on your 25th anniversary real soon is, is testimony of that. And to see your uh, example in the church and with your family. And uh, But one thing, uh, uh, all of those things that you said were true, but also, in my case, uh, my wife is a little bit of a maybe chiseler. She chisels off some of the, the wrong ideas I have or maybe sand them down or something and, and points out to me. And without the other portion of that, the, her view of it, uh, I'd be a pretty hard person. You know, I, I think for the most part I am who I am because of the, the wife of my youth. And uh, anyway, I, I don't think there's anything better in life, this is my personal opinion, other than the Spirit of God and the Kingdom of God than a young man having a, a, a good, good, good woman. And the scripture is just full of that. And have your marriage the, the way God has it. Uh, and, and we're not perfect either by any means. But anyway, I don't think anything's better than that for me personally. Thank you, David. I had the privilege of marrying a couple, it's been a couple of years ago. And uh, so I did some studying on counseling because they wanted to do counseling with them. But in my studies, to counsel them and to take them through, I came across some books that I was reading, and one of them was that uh, marriage is really not for happiness. And I thought, that doesn't sound right at all. But the more he talked, he said, marriage is about making the two holy. It's to bring about holiness, which is kind of that chiseling idea that he was talking about. You're supposed to be working each other for the glory of God. So it's all about becoming holy before God. And I think once we find out it's not all about happiness, it's about bringing glory to God and, and becoming holy, well, the happiness is a result of that. I mean, not all the time, but it's a result of that. So an ideal marriage is one where the two are working to, to glorify God with, the, with their lives together. So That's a fantastic answer. Other thoughts? Well, I was just thinking since um, we celebrated our 21st anniversary the other day. I was thinking you know, 20 years with me would be something, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it just, it kind of, marriage mimics our relationship with God in a lot of ways, right? Uh, they say in the love is unconditionally and everything. Now, that doesn't mean you to do anything, but it means being able to know you and, and know your heart and to be able to forgive you when you make mistakes and 
And I, I think that's like an ideal marriage, having that uh, faith and love in each other, kind of like the, the same way you want uh, your relationship with God, basically. Yeah. yeah. Great point. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to um, our first question here. Um, so uh, he says, you know, read Ephesians 5.21, and um, that is submitting to one another in the fear of God. So, you know, a, a lot of this passage, of course, is about marriage, but, but it's also about our family relationships, our church relationships, all of our relationships. And he puts that first and foremost, doesn't he? So he says Paul addresses all of these types of relationships when he writes to the Ephesians. He prefaces his instructions with a general overriding one. And I think it's really important for us to, to remind, you know, to rem- remember that overriding question and the reason it comes first. Because the next two questions can feel a little divisive, especially in today's world. And so we need to remember this one. He says, what attitude are we to have toward others? What attitude would we have toward others? Mark? Yeah, and I think it's important to look at um, a meaning here of what Paul was saying because if you look into this, um, I'll read you from my, my study Bible. Yeah. Submitting, the Greek word for submitting does not refer to being under the absolute control of another, but to voluntarily placing oneself under the authority of another. And there's a difference there, isn't there? And so we volunteer in a lot of our church roles and what we do with each other. We volunteer to get in our relationship with our wives and our husbands. And it's a very important thing to remember. It's not absolute control. It's, it's a co-relationship. We're equal with each other. And we are under the authority, of course, of, of God and Jesus Christ. Thank you. Uh, Reg? The whole idea of submission is to place oneself under someone else voluntarily. But the whole idea is don't put yourself first. If you put, if you put yourself first and have a selfish outlook on the whole world, there's no hope for the relationship at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our key, right, to going into the next question. Uh, because, um, you know, or the next set of questions. Because we can, we can easily be swayed by the, the culture around us and about what that word means and what it, what it doesn't mean. So what should submission look like in daily life? What examples would that submission look like in any relationship? Fran? And then, and then Sean? I think a lot of it would be um, working with each other when uh, uh, there's a, a problem to, to be solved, not think that you've got all the answers and not listen to the partner. Uh, be willing to work with them. And that in that when you're submitting, that means that you're giving 
into, and it doesn't mean they get to do everything they want. My son made the mistake of thinking that was what marriage was about. Didn't work in his marriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sean? Just to echo basically the same thing that Fran just said is you have to work together. You have to know um, when it's right to just be there for your mate and step up and do what it takes to help and just your daily activities are going on if you get home first make the dinner it doesn't matter whether the wife or the husband does it and just different things within the family uh, be willing to step up and just do things out of your comfort zone any other ideas thoughts Reg? No submission is possible unless there's uh, strong and frequent and, and honest communication between the two. Yeah, yeah, critical. So, can I get a volunteer to read Ephesians 5, 22 uh, through 33? the easy part. <laughs> Ken? Let me pull it back up again. I was stuck in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> My apologies. Wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the true Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, uh, I think that this... Um a little bit one of those trick questions again that N.T. Wright had like at the beginning. Uh, I'd really like our married ladies to, to answer this question first. Why does Paul tell wives to submit to their husbands? It says that the relationship is like uh, submitting to the Lord. 
and the church and not just between the two of them but to raise children to see that relationship and to have more understanding of how God loves us and how the church should be how the church should be towards Christ right yeah. a friend I think also, in even in a business, there has to be um, the head. There has to be someone who makes the ultimate decision. And you can have uh, something come up, and maybe you don't agree on how to solve the problem, but uh, in order to have um, uh, a good relation in the family and not have strife and, and undermining and all that, the wife submits to that because God told her to. God is the one who know he built, he made marriage. And uh, it, it's not that you're supposed to just lay down and roll over, but God expects you to be submissive because God expects her husband to be submissive to him. Other thoughts from anybody? Just a little bit of a different spin on it, but uh, uh, my wife told me, I mentioned before that before we got married, she believed that the husband be the head of the house. Well, there was one time we'd been married about three years or so. I lived right across the street from the place where I worked so I could come home for lunch and all that. I'd be home from work before most people ever got out of the parking lot. Well, I'm making a long story out of this, but uh, a gentleman, a young man, and I was in my early 20s, and had this old 53 GMC pickup with a 59 Pontiac Bonneville engine in it and all this stuff, and he would squeal his tires all the way down the street, and even when he'd shift gears, he'd squeal. And I said, Cotton, when you sell that, I want first choice. Well, a few months later, uh, that morning, he said, uh, uh, Dave, he said, uh, I'm, I'm going to sell a pickup. Here's what I want for it. I went home for lunch across the street. And I told Fran, I said, Fran, I said, I know you don't agree with this. I said, I don't want you to say a word. And I, and I, and I pulled executive authority. I said, I'm going to buy that pickup. And she didn't say anything. I, I knew she didn't really like it, but uh, this is one of those cases I regret in a way doing without her having full permission. I took advantage of what she said, you know, the man's ahead of the house and, and God backed me up and, and I, I still feel guilty to this day. I enjoyed the heck out of that pickup, but you know, I, feel, <laughs> I, I feel guilty about my immaturity, but with, with God's spirit and with her, uh, you know, we got through it. Yeah. One of those learning moments, right? Yeah. Anyone else have some thoughts? Well, I'd like to read again a little bit of what I, I wrote down. Um, so the word here can make us, you know, the word submit can make us bristle, especially in the age of extreme feminism, cancel culture, the Me Too movement, woke, selfish individualism, and the idea that a woman should submit obey, rank herself below her husband, seems to be misogynistic and oppressive in today's culture, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, 
we have to know that that's how it's, how it's heard. Um, but it's not. It is simply the greatest and most powerful version of loving your neighbor as yourself. It is the most complete version of doing unto others as we would have them to do unto us. It's the most beautiful version of laying down one's life for one's friend. It truly is. And we, we look at it, unfortunately, in a negative context. It is truly living a life of 1 Corinthians 13. And I will tell you, my wife is way smarter than me. She is a lot kinder. She is far more patient. She is, in order of magnitude, wiser and more skilled in the areas of life that matter most. I have a beat in technology. That's about it. And I'm constantly amazed at how much I've been blessed by her. And what it does in me, it does something, doesn't it? It does something that that David is touching on. It makes you want to be the husband that she deserves. It has a powerful effect on the husband in a way that demanding, fighting, arguing what the world would, would perhaps present to us. It, it, it is far more effective than any of those tools that the world thinks it has. But this is where we have all failed in human society, almost in every part of human society and any, any part of, of human history. We have had a, as a culture what we call the battle of the sexes. He mentions that both in and out of the church and that arise when we think that because this submission in love to our own husband, it makes a woman somehow in submission to all men and that a woman's voice, importance, effect, and value is less than a man. That's where we've made the mistake. That is absolutely the critical mistake. This outcome in society or the church or in families is not because of Paul's admonition. It is because of the sin of people. The sin of mankind. And, you know, we can look at so many examples of that, can't we? Men try and rule other men. Of course they're going to try and rule women in an inappropriate way. It's a sin in mankind. Paul makes this clear in every way possible. A wife, and and it's also important in the context of Ephesians, isn't it? A wife is to submit to her own husband. Her own husband. That's it. That's the end of it. As to her role in society, in church, her position is no less than any other man or woman, that of equals serving one another in love and brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, maybe you might disagree with me, but I think that that's what Paul is really trying to get us to understand. And our society, certainly in our last three, four hundred years of Christian, Western Christian view, we have twisted this. And it's, there's been corrections and improvements, but now, unfortunately, we're going perhaps, in the the opposite direction. So number four, how does remembering that a wife is really submitting to the Lord affect submission to a husband? 
How does remembering that a wife is really submitting to the Lord affect submission to a husband? It helps both of us to realize who we are truly serving. That we're, we're actually serving God through taking care of each other the way he says we should. And it helps with the, what our attitudes should be. Yeah, because it helps the husband, right? Or it should. <laughs> to, to be humble. Because it, you're not getting... You're not getting all this support and, and service and, and, and love just, just because of you. <laughs> it's because of the process of worshiping her Savior that that's what a wife's doing. Um, and, then, and then the reverse. Right? What else? Anybody else have any other thoughts? Friends? I just put, it all boils down to giving up power, and all power belongs to God. So by submitting to your husband, you belong, you're being obedient. Yeah, you're being obedient to God, right? So what I find interesting, and I'm sure ladies have noticed this, is that Paul has lots of words about wives submitting to husbands, and then he has one line about what husbands should do toward their wives. But it, it seems like, okay, he's a little biased here, a little chauvinistic or something, but I don't think so. Because when we dig into the one line that Paul has for the husbands, it's huge, isn't it? It is absolutely huge. So how are husbands, in turn, to treat their wives? I'm going to go back. Oh. Carolyn and, and David. They are to love their wives as they love themselves. And let's face it, you love yourself, you know, quite a bit. So <laughs> that is a large thing to expect another person to do, is to love another person as you would yourself. Uh, David? Uh, Jesus said in other places, you know, when you've done this to the other people, you've done it to me. When you fed the hungry and the poor and taken them in the naked and all that, you've done it to me. So, so it's similar there. If you don't uh, show reverence to your husband, you're not showing reverence to me. And I show reverence to my father, says Jesus. Yeah, I mean, nobody's ever hated his own flesh. Cherishes it, and nourishes it, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Um, and I, I had a, a, a note here. Uh, let me see. The answer to, to this is everything for all husbands, right? The example we have is the hardest to live up to. God has not given us a challenge. He's given us an impossible challenge. Okay, it's an impossible challenge. How can we as mere men live up to the standard of the most complete, the most secure, the most compassionate, the most loving, the most strong, the most humble, the most powerful man that has ever walked the earth? 
because that's what he said. Steve? What's interesting is that uh, there's three verses for the wife, but there's eight verses for the husband. And what is really interesting about the rest of the verses is how Paul ties it in to you know Christ, the relationship to the church, and and so it becomes a um, and then ties it in to the to the husband's relationship to his wife, and so all of this is very interesting. Um, how, as you said, it puts a greater burden on the husband to love his wife, but it also helps us to understand the relationship in the church because it is not the humans that run the church, but Christ. He is the head of the church. We submit to him um, in, in, in every way. So I think um, all of these verses are very, very important for yeah. us to really comprehend in a deep way. Yeah, and the specific one that I was, I was zeroing in on is as Christ loves the church. And, you know, we, we get, I, at least in my youth, thought, well, of course, I would, I would die for my wife. I absolutely would. Uh, there's no question in my mind, but it isn't a single moment in time event. Right? As Christ loves the church, has lots of things in it. And just to, to further clarify, it's an impossible challenge without Christ Jesus in us. Fran and then Mr. Gregory. Uh, did you have the mic? No, no, Sean, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Um, so, by nature, we're very selfish. So we really have to be seeking God all the time, praying and asking for his guidance and help to not be selfish. But we can't put somebody else above ourselves if we're not seeking God and putting him first, obviously, and just making sure that we're accomplishing that through God to make sure we're not selfish and putting other people first. Mr. Gregory? The uh, marriage relation in Paul must have had the marriage relation in mind when he wrote the Ephesians. Now, I'm, I'm my, 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 my wife liked the uh, Kansas area, but uh, my decision to come to Oklahoma and uh, is a result in in uh, opportunities in Oklahoma and the same way in going to Canada. She supported going to Canada, but now she supports going to Lake of the Ozarks for the feast. And uh, I go along with that. <laughs> Because uh, I've seen uh, the result, and it's been good. Thank you. Uh, Pete? Yeah, the only thing I was going to add was that, um, again, in doing some, some marriage counseling, and then also just if you do any kind of reading in, on marriage, the world's idea is 50-50. Each of you give 50%. 
and it even goes beyond 100%, like you were saying, we're asked to give everything, and it's not dependent on what the other person does, so it goes beyond what the world would say is, you each get 50% and your marriage will be successful, which is absolutely not true, so. Right. I, I, if I can speak for my wife, we were discussing the Bible study this morning, and she talked about that, and uh, she may have read some of the same material, and it, about giving 100% from each person all the time. But there are times when you can't. And when one can't give 100% and the other is, then 100% of the marriage is covered. Right? So if one's down and is giving 5%, the other's giving 100 and and vice versa. And I, I just thought that was really powerful. I just put down uh, self-sacrifice. What did Christ sacrifice for the church? And I've got uh, time, money, desires. His life was not his own. He guides, he provides, he encourages and forgives. And if each one of us do that for our mate, it's got to go somewhere. So, remembering that word. I, I love what you said there, friend, because that word submission, right, uh, means to, um, one of the definitions is to put oneself under. I think Mark said that. Voluntarily, to put yourself under somebody else or rank yourself lower than somebody else. And so um, I had on that, that same point that you just said, Fran, you might think that Jesus didn't submit himself to the church, his bride, but we're wrong if we think that. Submit means to rank under. He did rank himself under when he decided to save us from our sin, right? When uh, he ranked himself under when he knelt and washed the disciples' feet. He ranked himself under when he sought out the sinners, the adulterers, the tax collectors, the broken and bruised. And he ranked himself under when he humbled himself and came down to the earth, placed himself in the hands, literally, of human beings, to raise the creator of the universe. He ranked himself under. And then he submitted himself to these impetulant, childish, wicked people who killed him. So as Christ loved the church, to me, loving your wife as Christ loved the church is the same as submitting. It's the same thing. It's it's really two sides of the same coin, isn't it? Love and submission. So in the end, that's what we as husbands are also supposed to do, is submit ourselves to our wives. David? Well, I mentioned a thing that, uh, one of the things that we used to teach and learned in uh, marriage relationship classes that we taught, that forgiveness, a very, very important thing. Jesus forgives us of our sins. Uh, husbands and wives make mistakes. And uh, we've seen the opposite of that when a husband is, a, is a, a, an abuser, he beats and he, he repents, he brings him back, she, he beats her again, but da 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 and on and on. But anyway, uh, that's not what I'm getting at. The situation where, you know, we make mistakes. My wife forgave me for uh, buying that pickup that time, and, and she was instrumental one time. Now we're going to get into everything. I didn't mean to make it this long. But uh, she had a, made a decision. Well, she was instrumental in a, in a decision, and I went along with it, and it wasn't a too good financial deal. And uh, it sounded like I didn't forgive her 
because I'm bringing it up. <laughs> but anyway, we did because I have anyway. But forgiveness, forgiveness is a very, very important thing. Yeah. Um, well, let's move on to number seven. So N.T. Wright uh, says here, Paul assumes, as do most cultures, that there are significant differences between men and women. Uh, differences that go far beyond their biological and re reproductive function. Their relations and roles must therefore be mutually complementary rather than identical. Equality in voting rights and in employment opportunities and remuneration should not be taken to imply such identity. And within marriage, the guideline is clear that hus the husband is to take the lead, though he is to do so fully mindful of the self-sacrificial uh, self model which the Messiah has provided. The church became the Messiah's bride, not by being dragged off unwillingly by force, but because he, him, he gave himself totally and utterly for her. As soon as taking the lead becomes bullying or arrogant, the whole thing collapses. If this guideline still seems outrageous in today's culture, and I just thought it was so powerful what he says here. He says, if this is, seems outrageous in today's culture, we should ask ourselves, do our modern societies in which marriage is often a tragedy or a joke really offer a better model for how to do it? Does the specter of broken homes littering modern Western culture indicate that we've got it right and can tell the rest of the human history how we finally resolve the battle of the sexes? Or does it indicate that we still need to rethink something somewhere? What are some practical ways husbands and wives and live out chapter 5, verse 33. Verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife or husband as himself, and let the wife see that she respects, or the husband, that he respects uh, her husband and wife. So, Anybody want to take a stab at that? This might be our last question for today. And what, what are some practical ways husbands and wives can live that verse out? Fran, oh, uh, go ahead, Rich, and then Ed Fran. Well, I just want to make a note. This is a negative version of the same thing, but um, it is significant to note that Paul was a bachelor all his life. <laughs> so he couldn't make the commitment, and that's the model that it's set for us. If you can't make the commitment, don't get involved. Right. Yeah. yeah, from his perspective, he was like, I wish that, you know, nobody got married because they can do the gospel more. Yeah. Uh, I put, providing the wife opportunities for spiritual or physical or mental growth, encouragement, personal Bible study, schooling, workout, how does a husband wash his wife with the word through Bible studies, helping her fulfill the role as a wife? And it can be the same way with the wife. I know that for years when we had five kids running around crazy, uh, I made sure the kids left David alone so he could have his time for Bible study because uh, it's hard when you have a kid knocking on the door every two minutes. Yep. Sean? By setting the right example, do what you say you're going to do and follow through with it. And when you've made mistakes in those areas before, recognize it, repent, and go forward and set the right example going forward. 
And when you s just being a stand-up person and doing what you can to help them in every way possible. And like you said, um, when they're down and can't do what they can, if they're only given 5%, if they're given 100% and you're not, just together, work together, make sure you're given that 100% and both set the right example for each other and uh, to God the Father. The things that we haven't mentioned is trust. When you have absolute trust in each other, it, it, you can build on things from there. If you have to worry, is that person where they said they were going to be doing what they said that you can't, you can't move on. So to have a really good relationship, that trust is something that is very valuable. I mean, we trust that Christ does what he says he will do. And we have to have that trust. Yeah, that is critical. And we built that trust with you know, the examples, the shared experience, and the communication, right? <laughs> yeah. The magnet that Pat and I kept on the refrigerator and it says love is looking in the same direction and had an older couple sitting on the beach holding hands and looking out at the ocean. If you apply that spiritually and both people in the relationship are looking to Christ, you are at, the wife allows the husband to make the final decision if they're, but you discuss it first and you work together like a, a team of horses in tandem. You can't have one going in one direction and one the other. And if you have God and Christ and the instructions that he's given you as the goal for both of you, it's going to be a whole lot better for both of you. You know, in my experience, I, maybe, I, I don't think we're any, any different <laughs> than anybody else. And I, I can't remember a time, really, that I felt like I made a decision that Renee didn't agree with or vice versa. Uh, you know, because you get that communication, you're working toward the common goal. Um, you you are joined in spirit, uh, and and I think the Holy Spirit, if we are working with Christ Jesus, helps those decisions to come together. You know, and sometimes I hear the the decision-making process almost seems like it's harder than it is, or harder than it needs to be, um, because if we're including God in all of our decision making, then he's directing both of our paths, isn't he? And he's helping make, make those decisions. I know there's a lot we haven't touched on, um, and we could, you know, take the next hour. Hold yeah, on one, one second, David. Um, I am going to jump, jump to, to the end, um, but I'll let you take your just a short phrase uh, my philosophy is and I have I'm not real good at it yet but uh, I uh, for couples if they want to have a long-lasting happy relationship is when picture yourself as dating your mate and how do you act and how would you act to try to win them over to think that you're a good person that you're a worthy lifetime mate and don't don't give up when I mean don't give in when you get older in your relationship but always try to keep that person in your heart as if you're trying to win them over to marry you or whatever um, I'm not explaining it very well but that's my philosophy wooing your husband and wooing your wife every day right 
So question 12 is one of those that I think uh, we might be hesitant to answer as a group. So I would just uh, urge all of us, in all of our relationships, uh, because there's some in this study we're not going to touch on today, and I know everybody's gone through it. So he says, choose one role from this study, husband, wife, parent, child, employer, employee, when it is hard for you to follow Paul's instructions for that role, and what would you help, uh, and what would help you change? So I think that's just important for us to remember. Let's pick that one role, that one thing in our relationships. Uh, not give ourselves too many things. The, the, the temptation is sometimes when when maybe we feel like we haven't done a good job in as being a husband, as being a wife in, in certain situations, or as being a son or a daughter or so on, we want to just kind of, all right, radical makeover of Matt, because, you know, he's failing here. But then we fail again, don't we? Picking that one thing, I think, is really important. And we all know what those, those things may be. Um, I'd love a volunteer to, to close us in prayer today, if, if I could get one. Anybody want to pray to Dad? It's like asking my boys at the, the dinner table. All right, let's pray. Eternal Father, that we just thank you, Father, that that we have relationships, and that you have made us relational. That you have made us creatures that need to relate to one another and to relate to you. This is how you have made us, and you've given us emotions. You've given us uh, a spirit that is like yours, and you've you've given us so many different characteristics that can complement and support and, and aid one another and, and just made as relational beings. And, and that is, uh, of course, our nature because that is who you are. And you have, from the very beginning, beginning wanted to have a relationship with us. And so much of our relationships together are designed to teach us and help us to deepen that relationship with you and understand that relationship with you and with your son. So we just thank you, Father, for all of our relationships. We ask that you'd help us in our relationships to improve, to be better friends, to be better, better colleagues, to be better in different ways as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, to give grace and prefer one another and put each other ahead of one another. Help us to be good brothers and sisters and better husbands and wives. And just help us, Father, to become more like you, more like your son. And we so desperately need Jesus Christ in us because that's the only way that we can accomplish these things. So we just pray all of this, Father, and thank you for this Bible study today. In Jesus' name.